Women in Wellbeing is an Eden Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eden Center's Wisdom and Wellbeing podcast. This month's podcast is sponsored by Izumi Sato in memory of Rabbi Elliot Marman on his second yard site. Rosh Chodesh Tammuz coincides with the beginning of summer camp season. So this month's podcast is being released a little bit early to help parents prepare their kids for camp, particularly sleepaway camps where kids can be away for periods of three, four, or even eight weeks. Parents are preparing duffel bags, and if you are like me, noticing how no one ever has enough socks, we are also making sure everything is in order, that the forms are in, the vaccinations are up to date, medications filled if necessary, and these are all so important. But there is one more important topic to address with our children before sending them off, a topic which we hope will only be theoretical, how to talk to them about inappropriate touch and sexual behavior. After my Torah thoughts, I'll be interviewing expert Rachel Bayer about creating safe spaces and preventing abuse. I want to add that I have tremendous hakarat hatov to Jewish summer camps, what they have done for me, for my children, and for countless Jewish youth. The religious and Zionist inspiration is immeasurable. I applaud the camps who take this topic seriously, and this is an opportunity to say thank you. This podcast is meant to help raise awareness on abuse prevention and give families tools to be prepared wherever and whenever they may need it. Camp or dorm rooms, dorms are filled with shared spaces. How does one preserve a feeling of privacy and modesty within that? Look at the biblical commentaries on various mentions of the ohel or tents and dwellings in Torah can provide some insight. The Ohel plays a significant role in Bereshit chapter 18. Here, Avraham is sitting at the entrance of his tent when three angels come to visit him. At some point, they ask him, where is Sarah? The Talmud in Bava Metziah teaches that these were angels who knew exactly where Sarah was. However, their asking unnecessarily was meant to draw attention to Sarah's modesty for staying in the tent. Now, the association of the tent and modesty of the matriarchs is also developed further in the story of Yael, if we jump to the prophets, the books of prophets, to the book of Shoftim, where Yael defeats Sisera, who she brings into her tent. And Yael is blessed as follows. Most blessed of women be Yael, wife of Heber Hakini, most blessed of women in tents. Yael lures Sisera into her tent. There are certainly suggestions of sexual overtones in the narrative here. However, instead of that coming to fruition, Yael does the opposite. She kills Sisra and her modesty remains intact. She becomes the most blessed of women in tents, understood to be a reference to the Imahot who dwelled in tents and are known for their modesty. These sources serve to praise the value of modesty. At the same time, they associate modesty only with women, and perhaps overemphasize modesty. Modesty is a wonderful value. However, when it is used to prevent healthy education about our bodies, about physical development, or God forbid about abuse, it is doing a disservice to the Jewish community and the safety of our children. 
This kind of education can be done with modesty and with Jewish values. The Ohel is a model for preserving modesty and safe spaces. This is brought out most poignantly in the verse we say in Tefillah each morning from the book of Bamidbar, uh, from where Bilam comes to curse the Jewish people and instead his words which come out of his mouth are actually a blessing. Matovo Ohalecha Yaakov, Mishkenotecha Israel. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. The Talmud explores what was fair about the tents of Jacob. The Mishnah teaches that when a person builds a home, the doors and the windows should not be placed in a way that has a direct view of the neighbor's windows and doors. The Talmud explores what the source of this halacha is, and it states as follows. Rabbi Yochanan says that the verse in the book of Numbers states, and Bilam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel dwelling tribe by tribe. The Gemara explains, what was it that, Bil- that Bilam saw that so inspired him? He saw the entrances of their tents, which were not aligned with each other. Each one was slightly out of alignment, ensuring that each family had a measure of privacy. And Bilam said, if this is the case, these people are worthy of having the divine presence rest on them. Rashi cites this Gemara to explain the meaning of the first half of the blessing, Matovu, how goodly are your tents. Here, the encouragement of modesty and privacy applies to everyone. In the biblical tents and camp, there was a need to be aware of people's right to privacy, and rules and education were a part of this. Similarly, we all want our camps today and experiences of temporary dwellings, particularly away from home for a long time, to be safe, secure, and positive places for our youth. Join me in just a few moments as I speak with Rachel Bayer about what we can do as parents and leaders to do our small part to help ensure safe and positive experiences this summer at camp. Rachel Bayer, CEO of the Bayer Group, is a former sex crimes and child abuse prosecutor who has worked in the field of sexual misconduct and abuse prevention for over a decade. She built her career on creating safe spaces and facilitating change in workplaces globally. Prior to founding the Bayer Group, Rachel was a managing director in the Sexual Misconduct Consulting and Investigations Division of a global security and consulting firm and an assistant district attorney in both the Child Abuse, Sex Crimes, and Domestic Violence Bureaus at the Bronx District Attorney's Office. Rachel also serves as a consultant and has developed and delivered customized interactive workshops, lectures, and trainings for K-12 schools, camps, sports organizations, and much more. Rachel serves on multiple faith-based child protection and advisory committees. She is the author of a curriculum on teaching abuse prevention in specific faith-based communities, has been featured in the media, authored numerous articles, and was recognized by the Jewish Week 36 Under 36 in 2017 for her efforts toward preventing sexual abuse, particularly against children. Rachel is a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Rutgers University and received her Juris Doctorate from Seton Hall University School of Law. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today for this month's Tammuz Head and Center Women in Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 
So it's that time of year again, and many of us parents and kids are gearing up for the camp season, getting ready to send our kids off to camp. I personally have a couple of different ages going to camp in the United States this year. Um, I have a staff member as well as two campers. Um, and so we at the Eden Center and myself personally have been thinking about the topic of safe spaces and how to educate youth about sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. So I'll just jump right into some of our questions. As parents, we all want to protect our children, and it's especially important when they're away from home for long periods of time. How good is the training at summer camps in, we'll start with the United States that you know of, and um, what advice would you give parents before sending their children off to camp? Well, so that is a really big compound question filled with so much that we could talk about. So let's try to break it down. And I will, I'll, if I don't hit certain points, you're going to let me know and we'll circle back to them. You got I, it. I think, I think the first thing is to recognize that, that there's no set standard um, in summer camps, whether they're faith-based camps or not, right? No matter where they are, there's no set standard of abuse and harassment prevention policies and training, right? In the United States, there are so many different things that camps may have to do based on the county that they're in or the state that they're in or what the health department requires. But abuse prevention is one of those things that is just not nationally regulated in any way. And so what that means is that parents have to take an active role, whether their kids are going to be campers, whether their kids are going to be on staff, to not just have conversations with their kids, but to actually really find out what does this camp do in terms of abuse and harassment prevention. And sometimes it's really overwhelming to think about that because we don't know what we don't know, right? If you're a parent and you call up a camp director and you're like, hey, um, can I ask a question about abuse prevention? You're going to be wondering, okay, what if they don't do stuff? What do I do now? Or what if I don't even know if what they're saying is quality? Like, I don't know how to assess their answer. And so a lot of times what I say to parents is take a deep breath, right? Relax your shoulder. And I want you to envision if your kid had a severe allergy to peanuts, right? And you were going to send your kid to a camp. You would never send your kid to a camp and not ask the question, are you nut free? And if you're not nut free, what do you do to keep my kids safe? And you would ask a million questions and you would do it in a respectful way. But if you found out that it was like basically mandatory for everybody to be okay eating peanuts, you would say to yourself, this is not the right camp for my kid, even though it might be great for other kids, my kid is not safe here. And I think because we think of creating safe spaces from this perspective of, you know, it's not tangible, we don't know, we're not sure if something good or bad is going to happen, we hesitate to ask those questions. And so to answer that first part of your question, like, you know, is the training that camps do sufficient? It really depends on the camp and you have to ask some tough questions and you can do it in a way that actually really allows a camp administrator or director to like share with you what it is that they do. 
And I think the second part of your question was focused on, you're going to have to take me back. I will. I will take you back. But before we do, I'm, I'm still a little engrossed in this first question. So so I'm I'm really kind of shocked to hear. Is there really no sort of laws that that there have to be some basic training in summer camps in the United States that presumably private summer camps have some responsibility to do? And and separate from that, anecdotally, and I know this is anecdotally, what has been your personal experience in terms of what there are camps is, doing? Okay, so there is really no set federal standard. Every single state has different laws around mandated reporting of suspected child abuse, and every state differs as to what is reportable, what is not, where things need to be reported to. It is a bifurcated system. There is no set standard. In some states, um, camps need to do certain you know, aspects of sexual harassment training, which in the United States, when we talk about sexual harassment, we are not, it's not the same terminology that's used for sexual abuse, right? In Israel, it's different. The terminology is kind of defined differently. But in America, when we talk sexual harassment and mandated trainings, it's typically in the context of employment. Like your child who's a staff member may end up going to a camp where the state requires that any employees of an entity have to go through anti-harassment training, right? How not to sexually harass another staff member. But that has nothing to do with abuse prevention. And it has nothing to do with keeping kids safe. It has nothing to do with boundaries. And so there really is no set federal standard, which means you could be sending a kid to a camp where the camp is the one determining what is sufficient. The camp is determining if they should have policies or training. The camp is determining that based on a variety of different things. Have they had an issue in the past? Is their insurance company saying to them, you've got to do better? But nobody's checking to see, oh, are you doing a video training that takes 10 minutes before camp that all staff has to click through? Or is a camp administrator getting up and doing a five to 10 minute, here's the laundry list of things that you don't, that you can't do right? Or that we don't do here. But that's not effective education, especially not in an environment like camp, which is so chock full of leadership opportunities from the youngest kid to the oldest staff member, which is so full of just creative education. Abuse prevention doesn't have to weigh staff down. It can actually be really innovative and creative and actually really empowering and build a lot of leadership skills. Um, I would say that, you know, I work with a number of camps and every camp does something a little bit different. And there are other individuals and other entities that work with camps and go in and train staff. And some are really amazing and creative. You know, there are educators on consent that go in and work with campers as well. Um, And I think that it's just really camp specific. You know, I'm a bit biased because when I work with a camp, I work really hard with the administration administration to figure out what does the camp need? What would be best suited for staff week? How can we best engage staff in a really creative, not scary way, but at the same time, really give them a foundation and an understanding of the seriousness of this. So there are camps that I go into where I am there for an entire day 
like a full 12 hours. And there are camps that I go into and I might be there for four hours. And there are camps that I, you know, will do a Zoom training for their staff for like an hour and a half. And then they'll utilize scenarios and do like really good scenario building exercises after the training that I do. So every camp is different. Mm-hmm. And actually, you're really reminding me that I do want to, um, I do want to praise camp. A camp is, you know, for me, it was had a huge, incredibly positive impact on my life. And we know that. And, and I have um, really just incredible appreciation for the camp administrators and directors and everything they do for our children. And so this is so important just to also be thankful to especially the camps who are, um, who are on top of this topic and taking it seriously. Um, so now we'll get to the second half of the question, which is, uh, what more can we do as parents, other than you mentioned calling and, and I love the metaphor of the, the nut allergy. Um, what else can we do as parents before sending our child off to camp? So I I like to think of it as like a two pronged approach, right? I like to think a bit of it as the conversations that we have with the camp administration, where we can really assess their policies and procedures on sexual abuse prevention, grooming, boundaries, anti-harassment, camper on camper abuse, right? What are their protocols and policies? What do they do if there's a suspicion of boundary crossing behavior or abuse, right? What do they do if they contact the police and the police are like, there's nothing we can do about this because it's boundary crossing behavior. It's not something criminal, right? It's really being able to engage in conversations where you're asking some detailed questions about their protocols and policies, asking to see their policies, and then asking for information about how they train. And I think that that piece of it is the most important piece. And then there's the secondary piece, right? That second prong of how do we talk to our kids about abuse prevention, first of all, without putting the burden on their shoulders to keep themselves safe? Because that's not a fair burden to give to any child. It's not their responsibility. It's actually ours. But I like to think of it as tools in a tool toolkit, right? Like we're not asking our kids to build a house. We're asking our kids to take certain tools so that they have them at their disposal and hopefully we'll be able to use them. And so a piece of how we talk to our kids before camp is first of all, recognizing how old our kids are, right? The conversation as our kids get older may feel a little bit different, but I always like to say to parents, the time to have a conversation with your kids about abuse prevention in camp is definitely not on the way to the camp bus. It is definitely not the night before when everyone is like stressed and excited and already homesick and crying and like already the anxiety is like to the max. Like that's not an ideal time, right? (laughs) But I always like to say, just like we prepare our kids way in advance for camp, right? If you're, you know, if you're in the United States, like there isn't a camp parent that I know that doesn't have an ongoing Amazon, like list of things, of packages that are arriving at the house. Everybody has like a camp packing zone, right? If it's in the middle of your dining room or like an extra bedroom, you've got your labeling and your socks and your underwear. And, and as a parent looks around at that room, they know that half that stuff is not coming back, right? You're literally just like 
throwing money into a duffel bag. But when you think about the preparation you take, you know, there are people that take a different approach to packing, right? They might order the socks when they need them and then they stick them in that room and then they go and they label them, right? You may have a parent that decides to do two big shopping trips, get all that stuff in person, but then it goes in the room and it goes in piles and it's labeled. There is a system, but there are also steps. And I want you to think about abuse prevention conversation in the same way. It's not a big sit down conversation where you try to get everything said and everything done in one moment. It's about small moments of abuse prevention, sitting at the kitchen table, having a bowl of cereal. If you have older kids, their finals are over, right? If you have younger kids, they're so excited about that last day of school. They're so excited about so many things. And you might turn to a younger kid and say, hey, you know what I wanted to talk to you about? And whether you've spoken to them about this before or not, this is the time. I want to talk to you about something that's like, A little bit silly, but also kind of serious. Like, let's talk about body boundaries. Like, you're going to go to camp, and there are going to be a lot of kids everywhere. And if you've never talked about body boundaries before, a really good way to talk about it is to say to your kid, like, you know, you have a body. I have a body, right? And I want you to imagine that sometimes the boundaries around our body can change based on the person that might be with us, right? So I want you to take your hands, and I wish you could kind of like see this visually for those that are listening, but imagine if you took your hands, you put them like a few feet above your head, and you said to your kids, I want you to draw a boundary around your body, and that's your boundary bubble. That's your body bubble. Right. And I want you to imagine that someone can't come into that body bubble unless you are okay with it, unless you give them permission. So like if someone wants to take something from your bed, if someone wants to grab something from your pocket, right? If someone says to you, oh, I want to give you a hug or just goes to give it, you're in charge of your body bubble. What that means is that you have the right to tell someone they can't come into your body bubble. But sometimes people will come into our body bubble and we actually can't like say no, or we don't know how to say no. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that even though you're in charge of your body, if someone does that, it's not your fault, right? And it's okay. And you didn't do anything wrong. And I want you to know that you can speak up, right? That's like one bit of a piece of abuse prevention that has so many different components. Your body belongs to you. Nobody has the right to touch your body, but also acknowledging the fact that if you're a kid, whether you're nine years old or 15 years old, in a situation of abuse, you may not have the ability to say no to someone or push someone away. You may freeze. You may not process that information. And as parents, it's our job to say to our kids, no matter what happens, no matter what someone does, it's never your fault. And I'm still going to love you. And I'm also always going to believe you. And so when we think about like a body conversation, right? If you have not taught your kids the correct anatomical names of their body parts, now is the time, <laughs> right? When, when, like I am a former sex crimes prosecutor, right? And I can't tell you the number of times I had cases where we couldn't move forward because a child couldn't even identify a private area of their body. Mm-hmm. There can't be shame attached to the anatomically correct names. Our kids need to know if they have a penis or a vagina or a vulva, right? They need to be able to understand that it's not shameful 
powerful to call their body parts by the correct names for so many reasons, not the least of which is that if God forbid something happens and it happens to their private part and there's already shame attached to the name of it, then they're less likely to come forward and tell you because they're automatically going to assume they did something wrong and that this is their fault. So when we think about these kind of like small moments of abuse prevention, and there are so many of them, if we had eight hours, I could go through all of them, right? I want you to think about the small little moments where your kid is relaxed and where you're relaxed, where you can engage in conversation. Fantastic. This is really incredibly practical and helpful tips and information. And I know our listeners will really find this useful. Um, I was thinking as you were speaking, and I've had a few cases of my children over the years of various ages having experiences where, um, you know, it was relatively, you know, certainly not like um, categorically uh, inappropriate harassment, but certain touches either from a friend or another time by a teacher or something, which um, just in their gut didn't make them feel good, made them feel a little uncomfortable. How would you suggest um, telling um, a 14-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid, whatever it is, or 16-year-old kid to deal with that in the camp setting in the sense that it's not, um, you know, you and I would say if they were came home and told us, we'd have, we'd give them the strength to say, you can say to that person, you know, please don't do that. But it's not so simple when they're on their own in camp. It's not. And I think, I think it's important for parents to realize it's not only not simple, but they may not, they may not be able to say anything, right? There's a really big difference between a kid touching you in, let's say an uncomfortable way, but not something that might amount to abuse, right? Like a lingering touch on a back or a touch on the arm. There's a really big difference between an adult in camp doing that and another camper doing that. Mm -hmm. It can be easier to talk about a camper doing something. It can be harder depending on your child's personality. So I think the first thing is to make it clear to them that they are allowed and that you would be proud of them if they went and they told someone that they decided was a safe person for them in camp. And before camp, if your camp has pictures of staff members on the website, I always like as a practice to say to a kid, okay, here are all the year-round staff members that are going to be in camp. Camp might be big or it might be small, but I want you to take a look at their faces. Now, these are the staff members that are for your age group, but here's the deal. If you feel safer with another staff member that you see, you get to go to any safe grown up that you have decided is safe for you and tell them what happened. And if one person doesn't hear you or doesn't take it seriously, I want you to go to another person. And by the way, that's really hard to do. Mm. It's really hard to do. But I want you to know that if you can do it, I will support you. I will be proud of you. Even if I get a call from someone at camp saying, your kid won't stop talking about X, Y, and Z, I'll be like, that's right. My (laughs) kid is awesome, right? Right. You know, and saying that to your kid, because what are kids afraid of? They're afraid of rocking the boat. They're afraid of being in a situation where an adult doesn't hear them or listen to them, and they may feel completely deflated and defeated, like you're not getting that this doesn't feel okay to me. 
I have what we like to call red flag feelings. Like Mm -hmm. I am feeling anxious about this. This is not okay. And we need to actually say to our kids, you have the right to go to any person in camp. You have the right to speak your mind. You have the right to say it out loud. If you don't, it doesn't make it your fault. And I will still love you. But I want you to know that just because someone in camp says, oh, that person is the one you have to go to that doesn't mean you have to go to them, Uh right? It means that if you go to them and they don't hear you, you can go to someone else. And I will tell you, even giving you this answer, and for all the people that are listening here, I want to make very clear what I already made clear, but I'm going to say it again. It is not our kids' responsibility to keep themselves safe from abuse. And this is a tool, but it is not a tool that is 100% perfect. Mm -hmm. And it means that there is an element of having these conversations with our kids where we have to give them the out over and over and over again to know that if they don't follow our directions, it doesn't mean that they failed us. Because one of the things that we hear a lot in kids that disclose later on about sexual abuse is I didn't follow the direction of what my parents said. They said to fight back. They said to say no. They said to tell someone and I just couldn't. And that guilt compounds the issues of what has already happened. Mm -hmm. So we have to consistently give them that out. Fantastic. This is really, really helpful. So let's shift gears for a moment and um, talk about the the staff. Um, how how would you suggest talking to, you know, it almost feels, um, I think the parents will be thinking about it less because there's less, p- perhaps less vulnerability there or perceived vulnerability. So how would we talk to our, you know, 18, 19, you know, 20 year olds going off to work in, in staff? And if we're already talking about that age group, um, Perhaps we could also touch on the topic of kids going off for the year to yeshiva, travel abroad. Yeah. And um, in Israel, we have the Shehru Lumian army category. Right. So, right. so yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I think that when we have young staff members working with kids as a parent, I would be turning to my um, child who's a staff member and I would be talking about boundaries with campers why it's so important not to be alone in a vulnerable space or alone where you're not observable and interruptible with a camper, why it's really important that if the camp puts you in that position, that you speak up and you talk about how that's not safe for anybody, right? That boundaries with campers also involve physical boundaries and emotional boundaries and behavioral boundaries. And I give my child like a sense of why boundaries with campers are so important. They're kids, right? And everybody comes with a, with a different story and a different life and different complexities. And boundaries are, you know, the biggest indicator of really concerning behavior with kids, a staff member that doesn't have good boundaries with kids. When we talk about this word, you know, grooming that gets thrown around a lot in the in the world of sexual abuse, grooming is about a steady breakdown of natural boundaries that are meant to exist with a particular child in a particular setting, right? And so what I would talk to my staff member about is how important boundaries are, but that boundaries don't stop you from creating warm, amazing connections with kids. And that it's really important that you think about that 
from the perspective of the health of the child as well as your own health. And then I would also spend some time talking about staff on staff interactions and conducts. You know, for anybody here that's been a staff member themselves, They know how, no matter what camp it is, even if there are specific rules and policies about staff on staff touching and interactions, there are days off and there are nights off and there are always going to be people who kind of like, you know, don't always follow along on the exact staff to staff rules and policies, even if we want to believe that they always follow Um, their teenagers and, and teenagers are actually meant to kind of like push boundaries. It's part of what makes teenagers sometimes so fun to navigate with, right? And so <laughs> I'm a just, very generous you know, term. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like if for anybody here that was a staff member, you know exactly if you were a rule follower, if you were not, if there were things that you really did follow, right? Like there are all different complexities with that. So, you know, one thing I always like to say is, is talking to your kid about what the expectations are, right? When a camp has particular rules and policies, why we don't break them, right? Why it's actually really important from, for those who are listening that understand this terminology, what it means to be, you know, a dugma ishit, right? To be this role model, this person that is kind of an upstanding citizen, because there's a ripple effect to that, right? People see how you are. And I want to be clear that Physical interaction does not mean you're not a role model, but when we think about policies of camps, keeping to them is really important. And at the same time, it's really important to talk about, okay, and what happens if you don't? And what happens if you're on your day off or night off? And to talk to them about consent and to talk to them about ethical consent, about coercion and feeling pressured and also listening and being someone who can listen to what someone else's wants or needs and what your wants or needs are. And that if you don't feel safe and you don't feel comfortable, walking away is always the best option when it comes to staff on staff of the same like age range group and how hard that can actually be. Yes. Yes. That sounds, uh, that sounds excellent. And so just to close up, uh, if you wouldn't mind touching on the question of, um, going away for the year, I mean, it's very different from when I went for the year, when I went away for the year, there wasn't, you know, there weren't cell phones and there wasn't, you know, if, if you had that moment of um, fear and uncertainty, you could, you know, today you can so quickly just WhatsApp your mom. Uh, but uh, it's, it's. Um, I think it's still, there's still situations where, where I think these, they're not, they're young adults and yet right. they're not fully uh, independent in this regard. Yeah. I think I would take some time to talk to my kid about, First of all, the amazing opportunity that it can give, and also that sometimes there are moments that are not amazing for everybody. I would talk to my child about sexual assault Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter where you are. There are a lot of myths and a lot of just harmful myths that sexual assaults only happen across genders, Mm -hmm. right? But you can have a same gender sexual assault. You can have it in a dorm room. You can have it in a really religious from yeshiva or seminary. You can have it in the army. You can have it during your shirut lumi. Like the bottom line is that sexual assaults happen. I would talk to my child about it. I would talk to my child about how important reporting is, but I would also let my child know that I can be on a plane in a moment's notice mm-hmm. and that I would be no matter what, right? And that there will be support people and a system no matter what. And I would say this 
to my sons as well as to my daughters. Because a lot of times when we think sexual assault conversations, there is this preconceived notion that it only happened to people of a particular gender. And we really have to get rid of that very, very harmful myth. And I think the second thing I would spend time talking to my child about is emotional abuse, crossing of boundaries with people in power. Because the thing that is both amazing about a gap year for those that are going is is the idea of what it means to kind of find yourself spiritually, Jewishly, right? In all the different ways that can be really positive. And there's also a lot of savior complex issues with people in positions of power. And I would talk about emotional boundaries. I would talk about late night, deep, meaningful conversations with people in positions of power. I would talk about what's appropriate and not, what crosses a boundary, what red flags look like in a situation like that where there's no violence, but there's kindness, right? And there's deepness and there's spirituality and how that can also be used for the bad. And I would not do that for the purpose of scaring, but really for the purpose of raising awareness because too many times we have kids in a very vulnerable state, far, far away from home with people who for the most part, the majority of them may want them to grow in amazing ways, but there are some that will use that vulnerability as a way to drive a wedge between a child and their parents or a child and certain other aspects of their life. And that emotional boundary crossing behavior is something we don't talk about enough. And so I would send my child and I would have those conversations and I would do check-ins and see how they're doing. Because you know what? This kind of parenting doesn't actually ever end. (laughs) That's for sure. That is for sure. Wow. Well, I have to say a huge thank you. This was so helpful to me personally. I I feel so much more equipped uh, to think about this and talk to my children. Um, And I'm so appreciative that the camps have you, Rachel, working with them to, to just make them even better and safe places for, for our youth. Uh, And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.